I'm Barbara Buchanan, and this is episode 19 of Tales from Weird Scotland. The stories told in Tales from Weird Scotland deal with the supernatural and may detail dark and distressing events from Scotland's past. For this reason, the podcasts are not recommended for any listener who might find such content upsetting. The Ringcroft Poltergeist An Infestation of Evil The term poltergeist first came into English usage in 1848, a word deriving from the German poltern to make a noise or rumble and geist, a ghost or spirit. So simply put, this is a spirit which manifests not in a visible spectral form, but by making noises. Of course, such spirits were known long before they received this name. Poltergeists may be just an annoying, mischievous nuisance, but they can be far more frightening than any other spirit. They will move, lift or hide things, throw heavy or sharp objects. They may intentionally cause harm to property, people or other living creatures. They may start fires. They can be malevolent, violent and dangerous. And Scotland is not without its poltergeists. Ochen Cairn, from the Gaelic Achi na Cairn, or Field of the Cairn, is today a village of around 400 residents. Located in the countryside along the beautiful Solway coast in Kirkubrishire, southwest Scotland, now part of Dumfries and Galloway, it was first recorded as existing in 1305. The village expanded in the early 17th century around the local corn mill, and from 1750, smugglers began to use nearby coastal caves to hide their contraband. However, the village is best known for the terrifying events which took place at a nearby farm in the spring months of February to May 1695, the same year as the Bank of Scotland was founded and only three years on from the massacre of Glencoe and in America, the Salem Witch Trials. Known as The Trouble, what occurred was written down in great detail and published in a printed pamphlet by the local minister, the Reverend Alexander Telfair, who became actively involved. And not only that, he had the foresight to have what he wrote formally attested to and signed by various other witnesses who were there at the time. Andrew Mackey was a stonemason and tenant farmer who lived with his wife and family at the farm of Ringcroft of Stocking, which lay on a rise of land in the parish of Rerick above Ochin Cairn. They were a God-fearing family, well-liked by their neighbours. The farm was rented from the local laird, Charles McKellen of Colin. The farmhouse had been built less than 30 years earlier and had an attached barn, typical of the day. Mackey kept a few cattle, which he tethered at night to stop them wandering. One morning, in February 1695, he awoke to find that the tethers had been loosened or broken in the night. That night, he moved the cattle closer to the house and tethered them more securely. He was shocked in the morning to find one of the cattle at the back of the farmhouse inexplicably tied up 
and suspended from a beam with a taut tether of hair in such a way that its hooves barely touched the ground. Soon afterwards, the family awoke in the night to find that peat had been heaped and set alight in the middle of the house. The fire was extinguished without injury or damage. Then, on the 7th of March, small stones began to be thrown at people in the house, particularly if they were at prayer. Where the stones came from, they could not tell. This continued for some days. On the following Sunday, pot hooks and hangers for cooking at the fire disappeared, only to be found days later in a cockloft which had previously been searched. The family had been away from the house on the Saturday. On their return, the children saw a still figure seated by the fire. It did not answer them when they spoke. Although terrified given what had been happening, the youngest boy exclaimed if they blessed themselves, no harm could come to them. The figure proved to be an upturned stool with a blanket draped over it, into the shape of a person. An increasingly worried Mackie spoke of the events to the local minister, the Reverend Alexander Telfair. Was an evil spirit at work? Telfair made his first visit to the farm two days later. He spent some time there and said prayers twice, experiencing nothing untoward. But as he left for home, he stood by the barn in casual conversation when two little stones dropped into the field close to him. Then he was urgently called back into the farmhouse. The stone throwing was as bad as ever. Telfair himself was hit, but not injured, as again he prayed. All was calm for a few days, but on 18th March the stone throwing resumed. This time the stones were heavier and the throwing more frequent. After five days of this repeated onslaught, Telfair returned to the farmhouse, determined to stay. Stones and other projectiles were launched at him, and then matters took a more serious turn. He doubled in pain, feeling as if he was being beaten in the shoulders and sides by an unseen wooden stave. The noise of the blows was audible to others in the room. That same night, the side was ripped from Telfair's bed, and knockings were heard in the walls and chests in the house, as if someone were trying to get in. And horrifyingly, as he leant on the side of his bed in prayer, Telfair saw and felt a little white hand thrusting his arm up, seeming to levitate. The hand extended to the elbow, then disappeared. News of the event spread and neighbours began to visit in numbers, but stones were rained on them too, inside and outside the house, causing some to beat a hasty retreat. Despite this, the community rallied round the Mackie family. Some rumours were spread to try to show they had brought the events upon themselves. One story was that as a mason, Mackie had sold his first child to the devil, and another that they had taken in the clothes of a woman of possible ill repute and had kept them for themselves after her death instead of returning them to her family. Telfair was adamant that both of these rumours were entirely untrue. Was it possible that the property and not the family was the target of the activity? 
When the events became common knowledge, Telfair was visited by a man called John Reddick, who had a bizarre story to tell. Previous occupants of the farm were a family called McNaught, and they had had nothing but misfortune. The son of the family was sent to visit a local witch for advice. She told him that beneath the entrance stone to the house was a tooth. The tooth should be removed and burnt to lift a curse on the house. On his way home, the son ran into an army recruiting party and was immediately enlisted, ending up in Flanders without ever passing on the witch's advice. There he met Reddick, who came from near Ockencairn, and asked him to pass on the message to his father when he returned home on leave. By the time Reddick got back, the father was dead, so he thought no more about it until the Mackey's experience became known when he decided to tell the minister. In a further twist, it seems that the tenants who rented the farm after the McNaughts had learned of the witch's advice and acted upon it. That family had no problems or poltergeist activity in their time at the farm. Whatever the cause, within four days of Telfair's visit, the situation became much, much worse. A stone hit Andrew Mackey, drawing blood. He felt the blows of the wooden stave, and his hair was grabbed, and his scalp felt as if it had been scratched by fingernails. Some in the house were dragged up and down by their clothes. A visiting miller felt as if his side was being ripped and cried out for help. The bedclothes were pulled from the children at night, and the noise of them being struck was clear to those in the house. The door bar and other items were seen moving through the air as if being carried, but what moved them was invisible. Bedsides and chests rattled noisily as if hit with a stave. And then the spirit itself began to speak, saying, Wished, wished, at the end of every sentence of a prayer, as if to silence it. And it whistled so loudly that it set the dog to barking at the door, the sound familiar as its call to help with the livestock. This continued through to the 3rd of April. The next day, the laird went with Mackie to seek help from more clergymen, who said public prayers for the family. Two of the ministers returned with Mackie and the laird to the farmhouse, and they too were subjected to fierce stoning. One had his head blooded, his wig torn off, and a handkerchief yanked from his hand whilst at prayer. That night, a lit peat was thrown into the gathered group, but no harm was done. The following day, an unexplained fire started in the barnyard straw. Mrs Mackey noticed that the entrance stone to the house, below which the tooth mentioned by Reddick had been buried, had become unexpectedly loose. Underneath it, she found wrapped in dirty paper seven small bones, some flesh and fresh red blood. She hurried to the laird, who came and prayed above the find before lifting the package and taking it to Telfair. Throughout this, the activity reached new heights. Some stones now retained an unnatural heat. Lit peats were hurled and a stave was thrust through the wall and shaken over the children's beds, accompanied by groaning. In the coming days, the objects being thrown became more diverse and heavy including mud and farm tools, and injuries were becoming more common. The eldest son of the house, John Mackey, returning home in the twilight, was bathed in a bright light 
which went before him into the house. On 8th April, Andrew Mackey found a letter in the farmyard, written and sealed in blood, exhorting Scotland to repent and flee to God. The words, I am sent for a warning to thee, were taken to be a message from the spirit which was tormenting the farm. Later that day, the civil magistrate ordered anyone who had ever inhabited the house to appear before him, as there was now a suspicion that there had been a murder on the farm and that the bones found by Mrs Mackey were somehow linked to this. Nothing came of his inquiries. The letters and bones were sent to a gathering of Kirk ministers in nearby Kirkubri, and five of them were sent to the farm to join Telfair in fasting and prayer, all to no avail. Stones were thrown and a hole broken in the roof. The house seemed to shake. Some visitors were hoisted by their legs. As the days passed, the events continued unabated both inside and outside the house. No one was spared. The spirit became more vocal, voicing words which seemed to make little sense. The family spent a night away from the house, but five trustworthy neighbours remained to see what might happen. Inside, all was quiet, but outside, some cattle were thrown on each other as they were tethered to their stakes and others were set loose. When the family returned, they found the sheep had been tied together by their necks with straw rope from the sheep house. Yet another fire was set in the barnyard. Now those feeling the blows of the stave would hear the words Take you that till you get more. Followed by another blow and the words Take you that. Which they came to learn meant that person would not be hit again. People were beginning to fear for their lives. Then on the evening of 26th April, the spirit began to enter into a conversation with Mackie. It called those who were sitting in the house witches and rooks and said it would take them all to hell. Addressing Mackie, it said, Thou shalt be troubled till Tuesday. Mackie asked, Who gave thee a commission? It answered, God gave me a commission, and I am sent to warn the land to repent, for a judgment is to come. It said if the land did not quickly repent, it would go to its father and get a commission to return with a hundred worse than itself to trouble every family in the land. Mackie feared if he told what had happened, he would not be believed. Then the spirit ordered, Fetch betters. Fetch the minister of the parish and two honest men upon Tuesday night, and I shall declare before them what I have to say. Praise me and I shall whistle. Worship me, and I will trouble you no more. When one of the neighbours tried to speak, he was firmly told by the spirit, You are basely bred, meddling in other men's discourse wherein you are not concerned. Addressing Mackie, it said, Remove your goods, for I will burn the house. Mackie answered, The Lord stop Satan's fury and hinder him of his designs. Over the next two days, the house was almost continuously on fire. As one fire was put out, another started. When the house did not fully catch fire, the spirit apparently caused the end of the house to collapse, driving the family to move into the stable. It pulled one of the children out of bed and held a heavy block of wood above the children, saying, If I had a commission, I would brain them. 
when the constant fire setting continued into a third day, Mackie became weary of putting them out. So he extinguished all the fires, poured water on the hearth, and set about his usual tasks. As he threshed corn in the barn, he heard his name whispered, then shouted in the wall. But he did not answer it. The voice became angry and commanded him to speak. He ignored it. Then it said, Be not troubled. You shall have no more trouble except for some casting of stones upon the Tuesday to fulfill the promise. After this, only one more fire was set in the house, but stones were still thrown. On the Tuesday night, as the laird and several neighbours gathered in the barn to pray, they observed a formless black thing in the corner, which expanded as if it could fill the whole house like a cloud. The group were terrified and were pelted with chaff and mud. Some were grabbed so hard that they could still feel the grip days later. This strange event lasted a couple of hours. The next night, the 1st of May, the little sheep house was burnt to the ground, although the sheep were not harmed. Then as quickly as they began, just as promised by the spirit voice, the terrible events of the trouble simply stopped and there have been no recorded incidents of any kind since. What are we to make of these strange events? Poltergeist activity has often been debunked as the work of a person, not the paranormal. So was the Ringcroft poltergeist a practical joke? A prank? A bit of fun taken too far, with the prankster finally becoming bored, running out of ideas? or fearing discovery. There is mileage in this view. After all, no real harm was done, some property damage certainly, but no serious injury or death to people or livestock. Some may have been made to look a little foolish, such as the minister who lost his wig, but there was no unrecoverable reputational damage to Mackie, the laird, or anyone else. But if this is a practical joke, it is a very sophisticated one. Hard to pull off today, let alone in 1695. It would require great imagination, planning and preparation. Hoisting a heavy cow is no easy task, and dragging a man up and down a room without being seen, almost impossible. It certainly could not have been carried out alone. Do we see a conspiracy at work? If so, the Mackie children seem to be the prime suspects. We don't know who was where when the stone-throwing, for example, took place. The children might not have been as keen on prayer as their parents, so focused the attacks on those praying, made all the easier by the target having their eyes closed. Were the blows rained down on unsuspecting individuals simply noises which fueled a frightened brain to imagine pain? And at a time when pagan traditions and witchcraft still had a hold on rural society, some of this might have got into the mix. And of course, it could be someone with a vendetta against the Mackies. But there is no indication that there was any bad blood between them and anyone else. The Reverend Telfair seems to have faithfully reported the facts as experienced by him or as were told to him. His narrative was signed as correct by those whose accounts are contained within it, men of standing in their community. 
and never once is there any hint that there was anything other than a firmly held belief that this was a true infestation of evil. It would be accurate to say that he embraced the opportunity to note and publish the events in support of his concerns over a growing atheism and lack of belief in the society of his time, to encourage prayer and to emphasize the triumph of good over evil. But of course he would do, wouldn't he? The events over 300 years ago at Ringcroft Farm continued to pose questions and provoke debate. Prankster or poltergeist? We are unlikely ever to know the truth of it. Unless the poltergeist returns, of course. Until then, it remains one of the best documented and curious, weird tales of its time. If you are passing Ochen Cairn, look out for the skeletal, dead ghost tree which remains on the site of Ringcroft Farm. And as you feel a slight shiver, remember the biblical passage with which Telfair closes his narrative. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. That was Barbara Buchanan. This episode was written by Barbara Buchanan. It was recorded, produced, and radiophonically designed by me, Nick Cole Hamilton, and I also appeared as Jan Poltergeist Hingme. This is a You Better Run Media production. Join us again soon for more Tales from Weird Scotland. <laughs>